but it is a, a demarcation and it is a, a deliberate celebration. It could be a happy hour with some friends. It could be a picnic. It could be a, a formal service. It could it could take a lot of different shapes and form. But the idea is market. Okay, today I am so glad to introduce you to my friend Kathleen Joy. She has been a sparkle pony in my life for quite a while. She teaches at Stanford. She runs OB for major corporations, OB meaning organizational behavior. She's developed a a lot of really beautiful tools for understanding archetypes and helping yourself uh, see them in, in you and in others so that communication is easier. Burning Man Artist uh, did this huge install uh, where you could insert uh, into a mailbox, a winged mailbox, your letters to the universe. And uh, then later on, they would read those anonymized letters and create subsequent art out of them. And now she's working on another really cool interactive art project about, you know, sort of lessons for how to live in a human body. And it's kind of a utopian sci-fi fantasy thing about sort of, you, yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> I don't know how to describe it. I should let her describe it, actually. Anyway, she was really instrumental for me in articulating something that a lot of women in midlife go through. Uh, you know, after uh, we have done the this big job of raising kids, you know, 18 years, 22 years, however long it takes before they leave, there's not exactly like a gold watch moment you know, that, and there's no way to encapsulate the magnitude of the work that went into that and the heart and the care and the intensity of raising a human. Um, and so we talked about what would that be like to have a ceremony uh, for that. She brought the full experience of designing ritual and designing experience and her professional work into creating the ritual for the empty nest that's in the reverence book. So I'm so thrilled to welcome this sparkling, beautiful woman to the pod. Meet Kathleen Joy. I remember going for this walk with you and we were talking about the milestones of becoming an empty nester and and how that just evolved into being a real ritual, one that people can read in the book. But I would love to talk a little bit more about how you see ritual and enchantment in your daily life. And and how did you become this person who sees the world as enchanted? Well, first of all, you're adorable for saying that. That's very kind of you. <laughs> you know, I have to say, my family name is Joy. And I had a grandfather who was absolutely enchanted with life and with the outdoors. And every time that we would go up to visit him, there was always pure magic happening. It could be that the blueberries were coming in. It could be that we found mushrooms under, you know, near some tree, rotting tree. It could be that the fish were jumping. He he was a man who was very connected with nature and if you had a pint of ice cream nearby, in addition to that, it was a party. Like he was just, he fully embodied his name. <laughs> I thank him for that because I feel like that brought in a lot of magic into our life. And when I was raising my daughters, we had magic all the time. It was just, I don't know, it just seems like a natural thing. Of course, there's leprechauns certain days of the year and they're they have all sorts of shenanigans and watch out, look what happened, your milk turned green and, you know, little playful things just to make life, the invisible world more alive. 
Well, I have two I have two questions off of that. Was Joy his natural name or was it chosen or modified on coming to America like so many at Ellis Island? It was actually his his name is from the village he was from. Really? Ville de Joie. Oh my yeah. no, a city of joy. A city of joy. Oh my gosh. I'm so <laughs> glad you told that story. This is my friend. She comes from the city of joy. I love this. Now listen, don't you go jumping to the conclusion that the invisible world can be made visible when there are a lot of people who don't even believe in the invisible world. What is the invisible world? Oh, well, goodness. <laughs> it's like 80% of what we're swimming in. <laughs> you know, <laughs> let's just take air for one example. You're breathing every day. If you don't think that's a miracle, then I don't know what is. When I think about the the subtle world or the invisible world, there's a lot of nuance and beauty. If you're, you know, we started with the conversation of my grandfather and nature. Nature is a perfect example of the invisible world because as you're in it and walking through it or experiencing even just a potted flower or plant, there is an exchange. There's something that's happening there. And that is part of the influence of, of life is this slightly intangible piece of what we, we don't often pay attention to. And when we're with people we love or, you know, as we were talking about uh, the empty nest and raising children, you know, there's a lot of subtleness that happens in those relationships and paying attention to those can bring more animation and, and enchantment to our world. What I love most about transitions and why rituals are so important is because I think rituals help and I really want to thank you for writing this book because I think it's amazing. We don't have enough of, of this in our uh, Western culture. But these transition points need creative pivots. We need to somehow make material and real uh, all these things that are so subtle and, and can be enchanting um, in our life, concrete in some way. We need to create experiences with them. And... I think that's part of the magic of, of of ritual is that we can acknowledge what is more subtle. Mm. I love this idea of making the immaterial concrete something that you can point to. That's sort of the whole point of life in a body anyway. And there are some things that we've done really well as a culture. We say this is a beginning and this is an ending. This is a graduation. This is an, en an enrollment or a, an embarkation. But then there have been a lot of things that we don't. And as I was going through the book, I noticed the things that we don't mark often have negative emotions attached to them. Like we're together in our celebrations of birth and together in our celebrations of weddings, but not so much together in the divorce or together in the miscarriage or, uh, and, you know, grief, like grief around funerals. And, and there's a whole new end of life movement that's, that's emerged. That's really about a transparent, open way of living that we'll talk to Dream Mullick about later. But that there are other milestones that are very subtle, and a lot of them have to do with the internal experience of women. So things around like, how do I mark the phases of my reproduction? Or this one of coming to midlife and this job that you've done that has just been like matter of course, a thousand, tens of thousands of small decisions and small moments of nurturing and tiny emergencies and imminence and incandescence, like a, just a beingness is suddenly 
changed and there's not a lot of, you know, you're, what did we say? You're not getting a gold watch. Uh, so I'd just love to talk about what the experience was like for you and the emergence of this ritual and how it felt in your body to do it. Well, if you recall, I, you know, this has been a long process. It's not a, a moment in time. It's not when you drop your kid off at college. It's, it's some experience. And, you know, I'm a white privileged person. So my experience of this is different than it was for many of my friends and other people I've witnessed. But when we think about the empty nest and how we come to it, we're not prepared in this lifestyle. What we're prepared for is uh, achievement <laughs> in this whole idea of moving forward and gaining material things. And I don't think we're very good to your point earlier about actual loss and letting go. We don't celebrate letting go. And the way that I came into this was really incremental and I found it difficult because I didn't have guidance. I didn't have a real ritual or practice around it. And I think that empty nesting is a practice. When it goes sideways, there can be bad consequences. I have had friends who just haven't even let go yet. They're still trying to helicopter their kid at 26 and they don't know really, they feel lost without that role that they had and they don't know how to transition out of the role. In my work life, I work with people getting promotions, moving into different areas in their career. And I, I feel like that's a gap we kind of miss is like, well, where's the promotion for the parent or the, you know, it's like, oh, your child is launched into the world. So let's now take you to the next level. And let's make that a joyful thing versus just that your kid has gone away. And now we've left you somewhere, you no longer serve a purpose. There's a lot of women who experience this differently. I've had people who have had this empty nest, you know, because their kids were incarcerated or they empty nesting because their kids are on the streets and they found addiction or they're empty nested because their kid got to go to college and, and have that particular experience or they've become estranged with their children and they've empty nest that way. And I just believe we haven't really acknowledged that that process is very important to a person's life. And for women in particular, biologically, we are changed by that. I love that you went to this varieties and flavors of loss like that. You know, some I never even thought of that, that you could be having an empty nest experience because your child went to prison or because they're sick or something or mentally ill or how or addicted. That's like even more heartbreaking. It's difficult enough doing the normal progression from uh, or what I consider the normative progression, like your child's been well launched and they're off. And now who are you? How do you mark that time? But I have my heart is opening for anybody who's going through it in a different way. And uh, I just want to acknowledge that. Oh, man, parenting. So you are suggesting in some way that there is a normal progression from having children at home, actively being responsible for what they're doing every day, their basic development, and then to suddenly them not being at home. And that schedule which structured your life is gone. And so what do you think is a healthy progression for a parent as the child grows and leaves? Well, I think of it in three parts. And the first part is sort of the pre-ritual. It's the beginning of the ritual. It's pre-celebration is what I call it. And 
it's the moment in time where you get to really review your story around parenting and what it was like for you and thinking about, well, what really sucked about that? (laughs) (laughs) Man. I like to be honest about these things. And I think the more um, honest and truthful you can be to yourself, and perhaps you have one person who witnesses you in this in the storytelling, but to think about what were the things that were hard, because you can't really leave something and and have completion if you haven't been thorough, I don't think. And um, parenting is really hard, you know. <laughs> dude, dude, I mean, you're, you're, you're talking and I'm remembering uh, one night, like the fireman knocking at the door, you know, there's an accident. And, and like my kid had wrapped my car around a tree a block away from home. And I, Oh my God, I could cry right now, you know, or like another car incident, like this really vulnerable high school boy stage where they had taken my Jeep and off-roaded and the engine block had dropped out. And then they got a bunch of their friends to push it to another parking lot so that, you know, just like they could try to hide the fact that the engine block had dropped out and why. I mean, it just like the list goes on, emergency rooms, developmental things, uh, you know, dyslexia and stubbornness and gaming and oh my god so you're i'm with you on the things that were difficult do you resonate what was what were oh, some of yours heavens. if i started tattling on them right now <laughs> <laughs> yeah all right but, but you know when i think about you know the days were long and the years were short that's, mm-hmm. that's oh my gosh that's beautiful the days were long and the years were short Okay, so we're acknowledging the difficulty because... But then you have to acknowledge everything that was really freaking amazing and beautiful about it, right? So there's yeah. a balance, yeah, a holistic view. And there are, they can be very small moments. You know, when I think about what it was like to put the children to sleep and to see them just peaceful and safe and tucked in for that evening, there was... And angelic quality always. You, it's like you get to speak their souls before mm-hmm. they went out to play for the night. You know, uh, their souls, not their bodies. But there was something quite beautiful about those moments, or the moments where I was able to bring comfort, or or a bit of wisdom, or a bit of play. And you know, I really navigated some difficult moments quite well. I I did it with help. I learned how to ask for help. I learned how to engage people around me to be part of the team of raising these kids. There was a lot of beauty and a lot of things I'm very, very grateful for. So as we're entering into this stage of empty nesting, it's important to look at what did challenge me and be honest about that. And then where were these incredible moments and where did I really do well? whether it was something I did personally or something I enrolled other people to help me with or choices I made. And I thought, I think that's very important. And as we kind of complete this piece and reveal to ourselves, what is the story I'm telling about being a parent of these children? I think you get to tell that story a few times and then you have to clean the slate and you have to let it go and and let it rest. And you start thinking about, that's when we enter into phase two of this process, which is how do we celebrate this? Like what? I, and I call it Mother's Day you, because I, I was a single parent. So Mother's Day was me giving the kids something they could give back to me 
because they wanted to give me something <laughs> or doing, you know, some sort of art project so they could offer me the art afterwards or, you know, it was always a little awkward and strange, but I started thinking about every day sort of being Mother's Day. And, and when they left, physically left my home, I had this idea after you and I had our, our hike, right? I was like, I need a celebration. I need a party. I want to be acknowledged for all this hard work and joy and love that I've put into this. I, it's like my bat mitzvah. It's like my graduation. It's like my own uh, promotion to, to celebrate that I'm moving into this different era. And there's in your book, you'll the people will find there's all different things we can do around this ritual, but it is a, a demarcation and it is a, a deliberate celebration. It could be a happy hour with some friends. It could be a picnic. It could be a, a formal service. It could it could take a lot of different shapes and form. And I, I think the book offers a lot of different ideas for that. But the idea is market by yourself. When we're marking things, there's usually a before state and an after state. And something that uh, is, is a physical embodiment of that, a piece of jewelry, a symbol, a name change, some kind of token. But what do you think was different for you before the ritual and after the ritual? After the ritual, I actually went in and changed one of the bedrooms into my new studio. Oh, interesting. That's how I changed it. And and creating my studio, what that did, it was allow me to start to see where I was going personally, right? Who was I becoming? Now, I know they're off in, in school and they're having their adventures and they're learning, but wh- what was my path forward? And the, the studio was a way for me to say, this is my space. This is where I will create the next version. And it was, for me, that was the biggest part of the ritual was having a new space to be in. So for people that could take the, the form of like, you know, before this, I was involved in my children's life every day. And after this ritual, it'll be a twice a week check-in. Or it might be before this ritual, I was like giving them money. And after this ritual, I'm not going to be giving them money. You know, they're going to be, you know, there might be things like that or like increased boundaries between you and the children. And then there's the piece that you're saying is like, there's a, after this ritual, a new focus, a new energy, a new invitation. And I might symbolize that through my space or my body or my calendar. The biggest thing that was different for me before and after was the, how I manage my time. Mm that I really felt that, you know, I'm much more a person who likes to get up really early and get out the door. And the ritual of raising was you know, really kind of stuck there doing whatever needs to be done, really kind of on their schedule. And you have to be back on their schedule. And so now the the freedom of movement of like, you know, being able to say, hey, I'm going to take off and um, head to the to the mountains for a couple of days. And when I get there, being like, I'm going to take an extra day because I don't feel like rushing back. That's the biggest shift for me is just like reclaim that for me was reclaiming my time, you know, and and that was a conscious choice to get off of the clock time that had driven me for 30 years. You know, what are, what are some other examples of befores and after that you've seen in your friends? Well, one more personal one, but I was thinking about how I speak to my children has changed. The conversations have changed. So I talk to them much more as a mentor and coach now, as sort of the wider guide rails. You know, they touch into me uh, periodically. I I dialogue differently. I ask a lot more questions than I used to. I create a little more space for them to self-discover versus me telling them. 
you know, it, it's very different for a two-year-old. You, you need to put those shoes on versus, you know, my 21-year-old and saying, well, tell me more about that. How did you choose that? That's interesting. Mm. And I think that's a big demarcation is the quality and type of conversations I'm having with these people. When I've watched other folks do this, you know, they do things like they just send care kits and they'll send little gifts and they'll say, okay, here, just sending love. Yeah. Got to go. Here's some chocolate chip cookies. Have a nice final snack bags and snack kits. Yeah. Yeah. So there's things like that. You know, sometimes uh, I see parents before and after uh, doing things like, here's a plane ticket. Here's a backpack. Here, go discover the world. And I'll talk to you in a year, you know, and and we'll see where you land. Oh, Oh. probably the biggest thing is how they relate back to their community and who they are in their community again. That's a little bit different. You know, if you used to be a PTA parent or a a soccer person or whatever it was, however you were involved in your children's community, you may be starting a new community. And I've seen many people refresh friendships or start with um, in-service projects or, you know, take on more in the workspace than they used to be able to do. That's happened a lot. And travel. Yeah. have started to try to travel just to have a break. So now we're in the place where we've done our preparation and we acknowledge the good and the bad. We've had this celebration and this demarcation. And then there's a third step in the ritual that you're proposing. Yes. It's the maintenance. You know, the one thing is follow through. You always need some follow through because it will help you to integrate the, the change and the process. And there's a couple of different things to do. I set up an altar for for my transition and i had for me personally i lo- i'm a big fan of mother mary and uh mary of guadalupe and mary magdalene and i'm just a big fan of these women and characters and so i said an altar of them and i would say all right you've all had some experience with uh love and loss and children out in the world <laughs> some in a very very big way um guide me be with me Help me to find the peace of those moments and help me to follow in your grace mm. right? and your joy and your further information <laughs> of life. And honestly, some of them, you know, in mythology ascended. So why not go for the ride? Why not have an ascension of my own of sorts, right? Whether it be of my heart or spirit or my mind, elevate my mind elevate my interactions, but I keep that altar there. And that's sort of an affirmation station is what I call that. It helps me to remember, oh yes, tender mama, you did go through that. I understand. And it's okay. You'll get through it. Oh, there's this, there's a song, um, this Mary, a Mary song. Just let me pull it up for a second in my mental Rolodex. She says, Oh, Mary goes like this, like, uh, Jesus says, Mother, I can't stay another day longer. And he flies right by and leaves a kiss upon her face. And the angels are singing praises in a blaze of glory. And Mary stays behind, starts cleaning up the place. Yeah, Mary. Yeah, that's how it felt. That's how it felt, you know, when the first one left home already, like, up oh, there they go. So I'll start cleaning up and reorganizing my life. There is this piece of like letting it take time, like not 
there's a sometimes a desire, like people say they focus on the wedding, but nobody really thinks that after the wedding and integrating, what's life going to be then? And so this thing about letting the ritual happen, the demarcation happen, but then giving yourself the space to integrate. Post-ceremonial work is called integration, and that, that integration can take a while. You said something in the the before and after conversation around your life expanding and opening the studio. And I wonder if you could talk about what you are doing now and and how your current expansion as a as an organizational behavior person, as a professional um, leadership coach, as a professor, I mean, all artists, all the things you're doing, what have you noticed uh, in your own life unfolding? Well, I have noticed that I'm actually really great at uh, transitions and that I've hit many, many uh, myself, and I've tried to go through them as consciously as possible, and that my client work is based, and my teachings are based in helping people with transitions. The point of those would be is how do you make them as enchanting and evocative and desirable as possible? How do we make these pivots in a creative manner that makes us even more of who we are and allows us to offer more to, to others and be of service more to others. I have a basic principle that the more full our cup is, the more we can be of service. And I think when we get to the place where we're equally filled and, and also can offer, you know, that's a pretty great resourceful place state to be in. So the the work that I'm doing now and where the mothering has taken me is I am looking for very creative ways to help people do creative pivots and, and pivot in their life. And I've created a storyline, an adventure, so to speak, that my methodology is based on that takes people through all the different core stages that you'll experience when going through a transition, and how to do that with some grace, a little bit of humor, flair, and uh, reverence all at once. So that's coming across in a book. There's going to be a platform I'm building. I've been teaching a piece called The Four Intelligences for many years, and it's how do we tap into all those four intelligences. And when you're in ritual, you're using all four of these, you know, your cognitive abilities, your emotional capabilities and intelligent, your somatic and physical body, how does that get engaged? And then of course the subtle in the subtle world. So I'm I'm finding different ways to bring these to life and in interactive and engaging ways, not only for the individual to become more balanced, but to create community around it and hopefully healing. If we, if we just take that, I just want to see if it can integrate this backwards, actually, and say these four intelligences into the ritual. The cognitive piece is the mind piece, like the memory of what happened when we were talking about reviewing what was good and bad. That's the cognitive piece. And then you had the emotional piece of like the grieving and the joy and, and feeling that. The the subtle piece is in the affirmation, in in sort of the mindfulness quality, the energetic body, the quality of release. And then the physical piece is in the ritual itself, the physical ritual. Would that be the right reading of that? Yes. Physical ritual also would include uh, physical space. And the physical space, uh, the change of your office and all of the other things. So this is a template for an integrated transition no matter what it is in your career or in your, would you say that? Is that what, am I hearing you right? 
I have used this with people in their career for sure. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. You know, if you think about it, anytime where you get to warm up and, and tell your story and make your learnings and discoveries, and a lot of what you're doing is completion work, right? What do I have to forgive? What can I have gratitude about? What do I need to let go of? And then you move into the actual ritualization of it, which is a big piece of what we're missing in general, right? And and what your book is is trying to support more of. And then the integration piece afterwards is how do you maintain that? You know, I have an affirmation station or an altar, but there's a, a number of different things people could do. They may make a new friend that enhances that space. They might uh, join a new activity. They might have an additional meditation or prayer they do, depending on really which of those intelligences you need to reinforce the most. Mm. Some of, of the women that I know, it tends to be in the emotional space. They haven't necessarily, the process allows them to grieve and to really feel um, that emptiness and, and then come to a still point. When you hear stillness, that's when you can build up again. But uh, they need company for that a lot. People, a lot of the women I know need accompaniment, whether it be a counselor or a friend or a professional or or some sort of witnessing. It's hard to do in isolation. And you even helped me that. I don't know if you remember this, but we went out for a hike uh, near my home one day and I was having one of those grief moments. And you just sat with me on this rock as we were looking out uh, over at the, this waterfall and you were helping me let it go. And the subtle environment of the nature, of the running water, all that was helping me on the physical plane right? Experience release. You were, you were talking to me, your words were allowing emotional release. And then I, that allowed my, my mind to clear. And then I could start thinking more clearly about next steps and what would be helpful and where I needed to go. So these intelligences are always interplaying with each other. We just tend in this uh, society to highlight the cognitive and the mental because we think that's what intelligent means. And that if you're really smart and you're logical and you're analytical and you can put things together, that that means you've got it all. But in fact, honoring all four of these areas are what's important for real integration. I want to speak about this idea of being accompanied and that accompanied isn't, as you're pointing out, always a professional but that sometimes we have difficulty sitting in our own difficult emotions in response to somebody else's grief. And what I want to say is through all the work in the prisons and the healing trauma work that I've been exposed to, one of the most powerful healing of at all is for you to stay in your own center and just be present with someone else and whatever they're feeling, not to contract away from it because it's too scary or overwhelming for you or leaning out to try and fix them. That both of those responses to somebody else's experience aren't extremely helpful, but to just hold it and witness and let them have what they're having is an extremely powerful field healing. And that I think is a movement away from the professionalization of therapy, you know, like that there is a lot that if we're just grounded, we can do for each other. I remember that moment that was really beautiful to me and actually prompted a bunch of other things in my own work, in my own inner work later. So thank you. 
Yeah, I have a, it's part of my, uh, one of the tools that I work with people on is called the fair witness. Mm-hmm. And it's exactly that. It's, and, and there's a little more work involved, but the very first piece is how I call it bracketing. Cause I've always liked, uh, you know, when you're writing, you can put things in bracket and it's like the little side thought and you can come back to it later. And so often when we're trying to, uh, be present, with ourselves and with another, I think of it as, well, let me bracket that. Let me put that just over to the the margin. I'll come back to it and I'll pay attention to it. But right now, let me just be open and present with the person in front of me. Mm. And there's something really lovely about uh, accepting someone as a a blank canvas and letting go of all your storylines and your beliefs and your thoughts about them and your opinions and blah, 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 which we all have. Mm-hmm. And and just see what else emerges. And that is going back to that concept of enchantment and that concept of magic or synergy. It's that opening the window to a subtle difference. I, I've known sometimes I've been listening to someone perhaps when I found their story a little bit difficult and I do find myself judging and I'm like, oh, really? Like that? Mm, I don't know about that. But if I if I kind of bracket and put myself in that fair witness place, I can tap into whole new realms of things. Compassion, empathy, wonder, reverence, appreciation. And, and I would never have hit those resources within myself if I had not allowed that moment to happen. Well, I think that's a beautiful place to bring this part to a close because if you integrate the ritual, and you integrate the four intelligences, and you have fair witness, and you touch into nature, man, you are well on your way to making meaning and smooth transition through this particular life phase, or really anyone. So I hope you come and learn more about Kathleen and her work, her amazing artwork, and also sign up for this amazing platform that she's developing, uh, which incorporates all of these ideas into an experience and into a book and into an art project. Thank you, hon. Thank you. Thank you so much for being with us in this discussion about the empty nest. Now, this might not be your particular situation as a man or a woman. You might not have an empty nest, but maybe there are some things in there that are portable for you into other places where there's a transition, how to create a ceremony around it. I mean, part of the intention of the book is to give examples of rituals and ceremonies and how they can ground us in our body, help us feel things, help us make meaning as a way of inspiring people to do that for all the things that matter in their own life. So we're doing a series right now on reverence with some of the people that are in the book. I would say there are 10 people who contributed to this book, including this beautiful photography by Samantha and the design by uh, Colleen Shelley. And I really love for you to have a copy. So you can find it on Amazon or you can find it at rosewoman.com. I would love for you to buy the book. There's a matching journal and some other things like that to help you track down your own acts of reverence, self-care, honoring, and witnessing uh, for others. So come see me at the.rose.woman on Instagram or find me at rosewoman.com. Subscribe to the newsletters and stuff like that. There's always good stuff in there. And let me know what your own rituals are and how you're creating a reverent way of being in the world and living in wonder and living enchantment. How are you serving magic? I'd love to hear from you. Stay happy, stay free, 
Remember who you are. Pure love, pure light, pure consciousness. See you next time.